Hey y'all, welcome to Wild Confidence. I'm your host, Ainsley B, and I can't wait to share with you some amazing guests on this season of the podcast. Our goal here is to help one another find, keep, and share our wild confidence in Christ. I'm so thankful you're joining us, and if you love the episode today, I'd be so grateful if you left a review or shared it with a friend. All right, all right, let's hop in. I can't wait to meet our guest today. Tyler Zock is an author, certified Enneagram coach, and the co-founding pastor of One Hope Church in Omaha, Nebraska. He started an Enneagram account at Gospel for Enneagram, which has grown to over 45,000 followers. Visit gospelforenneagram.com to browse his 40-day Enneagram devotionals or get his free ebook called Should Christians Use the Enneagram? I'm so excited for this interview. I am such a huge fan of everything he does. Let's meet him. Tyler Zock. Welcome to Wild Confidence. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Ainsley. Of course. So we were just talking about how I have listened to multiple videos with him, but I still kept thinking his name was Tyler Zach, and then I kept kind of flipping it, and I'm usually good with names, so it really threw me off. But he told me the correct pronunciation, and I'm so glad that you did because now I will get it right always. Tyler Zach, right? Zach. Yes, German. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I honestly think that it's really important to get names right for some reason. I don't know if that's just like a two in me, like wanting people to feel seen and whatever. But I guess also because my name is wrong so often that I'm like, if you actually get my name right, I feel like, oh, like now I feel more comfortable. I don't know. Maybe that's weird. Anyway, tell me all about you and what you do. Yeah, well, I did campus ministry for nine years uh, at K-State and the University of Nebraska. I primarily did Greek ministry because I was a, a, a fraternity guy in college. No SIGAP, uh, yep. And just That's had a heart awesome. for college students and then transitioned to becoming a pastor. Uh, well, I never thought of myself as a pastor, uh, but I did it and, and really enjoyed it for about nine years. Um, but we have a, a son, so I you know, beautiful wife, Lindsay, she's a six wing seven. I'm a three wing four. And we Amazing. adopted two beautiful boys. Uh, one is on the spectrum. So it just has a lot of needs. And that became really challenging in ministry, uh, mm-hmm. you know, never being available on Sundays. And it just was, a, it's been a hard decade. And so I made the mm-hmm. decision last summer, I was on sabbatical reading Donald Miller's book, Hero on a Mission, just thinking about my life and where I was headed I just wanted my family to flourish in this next season. And so decided, you know, I've been loving, uh, you know, writing uh, 40 day, you know, Enneagram devotionals, you know, I've been doing that for over the past three years. I still have uh, three more to finish up this year. So it's kind of a five-year project, which has been incredibly fun. And I, I knew I wanted to do more writing and more Enneagram stuff, but, you know, I thought now is a great time to make that transition uh, to keep writing, do Enneagram work and help my wife at home and co-tutor our son throughout the week and spend more time with family and free her up to get out of the house and and pursue some things she's wanted to pursue. So we're right in the middle of a transition right now. And it's, it's really fun and really exciting. That really is such a gift to, you know, have that time with your family and be able to spend time and do that, serve them really well. Um, and I know that they are just so grateful for it because being, you know, since I had my daughter, I don't know, 14 months ago, 
um, being home, the more I've been home, the more rich it's been, like the more fun our time has been. And I don't know, I love it. And, oh, you mentioned the 40 day devotional books. I want to talk about those right now, because that sounds like the best project and yet super intense. So tell us more about these 40 day devotional books. You have them for each type, right? Except for the three that you're working on. Yes. Yeah. I wanted, it's great because I, I'm not just writing a book about like type threes and type fours, yeah. but it's really a, a letter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, addressing them and helping them to feel seen by God, helping them to feel heard, uh, applying the gospel to each, each type. So applying mm-hmm. the gospel, the good news to your core fears, uh, your core concerns, uh, your core sins, you know, those deadly sins, those vices, and yeah. so it, a lot, I've always loved personality tests and I've always loved contextualizing the gospel in a way that really makes sense to people and really, you know, has, have the words jump off the page at you. And so the Enneagram just was a great tool for me as a pastor to say, man, I can really speak good news into this person's life now that I know more about them. Yes. And so I went on a five-year journey. I was like, it's going to take a while. I don't want to just, you know, pump out this you know, fluffy devotional. I want it to be rich with content and people for people to learn a lot. And so it takes me about six months to do research for each book, like on the side as I'm like on the treadmill, you know, or walking the dog, wow. lots of reading. And then I spend six months writing the book. So that's why it's taken me, you know, four years or so to, to get six of them done. Uh, but this year being full-time now, I can knock out the last three. So the last three I have left are, I'm finishing up the type seven book now. That'll be out in June here of 2023. And then I'll do type eight and then type five. Uh, but all the rest of the books are done and, and on Amazon. So um, yeah, you can Amazing. go get those if you want. Absolutely. Ugh, I'm, I'm going to get mine right after this because I really do feel like so many people ask me for devotional recommendations and unique ones at that, not the same, exactly what you're saying, the fluffy ones that we all read in middle school. So I'm really excited to direct people to these and give them as gifts. They're perfect gifts. Mm -hmm. That just popped in my head. They're perfect gifts. Yes. Come Christmas time. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're usually pretty popular. Yes. That's amazing. Okay. And I also love your specific focus with the gospel and the Enneagram. I really like that because you're all of your um, handles and your website is gospel for Enneagram, right? Is that what it yep. is? Gospel okay. for like F O R Enneagram.com. That's yes. where it is on Instagram and, you know, other places too. Yeah. And I really like that, that, that pairing, right. That both of those things are always together whenever I'm on any of your content or thinking about anything that you do, that pairing is so important. And I really got blasted on TikTok one time because I posted a video and I said, I don't believe that the Enneagram is life-changing without the gospel. Like to me, it's just kind of like open heart surgery. And then you're just laying on the table bleeding out, but then the great physician comes in and helps heal and mend and, you know, get you up and moving on that healing journey and process. I don't know. Tell me what your thoughts thoughts are about that. So Naranjo, who created the Enneatypes in the 70s, you know, he did a couple classes or a couple cohorts in the very beginning. And he is a psychologist or a psychiatrist 
taught the Enneagram as sort of a di- with the through the lens of like a diagnostic tool. And one of his first students, Sandra Matry, who some people might recognize, uh, she wrote a, a book in 2001. Um, now it's uh, spiritual. Uh, I'm forgetting the title right now, but she was one of his early students, and she said that she was utterly depressed <laughs> after taking the yeah. taking, learning the Enneagram from him. She went on to use it as a psycho spiritual tool. So she used it within a spiritual framework, but she said she needed the spiritual part uh, to bring healing and wholeness. Now she's not a Christian, so she used a different uh, set of spiritual beliefs, but I think that just proves that, you know, you have to use it with something, you know, in some sort of spiritual worldview. Otherwise you're going to get depressed as it (laughs) diagnoses your heart and soul and makes you feel like, Oh man, there's my ego. There's my false self, you know? So (laughs) Uh, they're Christian, like so. The Enneagram is a good diagnostic tool, but the gospel is what brings healing and wholeness uh, to us as Christians. Yeah, I mean, when I showed my father-in-law the Enneagram, I mean, I was um obviously I showed every single human in my life the Enneagram, but he was crying after he read his type because he's like, "I'm a terrible person." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, no, you're not. You're not. But but that is often what it kind of leaves people feeling is like, wait. I actually hate this about myself. So now what? Um, So that's why I just love everything that you put out and everything that you create around this topic, because it is so incredibly helpful. And one video that I came across was all about the myths around the Enneagram and their origins. And that is really what I'm excited to talk about today, because I think that the topic about the origins is so important right now. I think every coach really needs to focus on that when presenting the Enneagram because it's, you know, so important. Like what, what are the origins of around this thing that, you know, knows your soul (laughs) or like can read your mind. So there's three specific myths that I would love to cover And the first one of those is the modern Enneagram is ancient. I feel like that is one of the first things that I learned about the Enneagram was like, yeah, this tool has been around for thousands of years and yada, yada, yada. So tell us about the myth around the modern Enneagram is ancient. Yeah. When I did a deep, deep dive last year, you know, one of the biggest discoveries I found while researching the origins is that it's a modern system. You know, it mm-hmm. hasn't been passed down through the generations from the Sufis or Christians or any other group, but was really a product of the 1950s and 60s by a man uh, by the name of Oscar Echazo. And I just want to say up front, like there's some well-respected Enneagram authors and teachers who differ on this matter. Yeah. Uh, and so I want people to come to their own conclusion, but I can mm-hmm. share what I found, you know, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's advantageous to claim that the Enneagram is centuries old uh, for the same reason why Christians like rooting our modern beliefs in historic faith, right? Something that has been around for a while gives, just gives it more credibility. Mm. And so the early Mm. Jesuits like Richard Rohr in the early nineties claimed that the Enneagram came from the desert fathers and mothers uh, because then it doesn't really matter, you know, what people said in the sixties or seventies or, you know, what Echazo's spiritual beliefs are or Naranjo's, it doesn't really matter because it was the Christians who first came up with it, right? So, and then even like those who aren't in the Christian faith love saying that it's an ancient tool 
again, because, you know, when there's history there, it, it just brings historical credibility. Yeah. And so I think that's why it's so easy to naturally go there and say it's ancient. But it's also advantageous in my mind for the Enneagram not to be ancient. Because if it's not yeah. ancient and it didn't come from these weird occultic sources mm-hmm. and Sufis, then I don't really feel like I need to defend every aspect of the Enneagram if it's not Christian. Yes. I, mean, yes. I can call it I can call it a a tool that has aspects I can affirm and aspects that I would challenge. You know, so many people right now are evaluating it as a Christian tool and then they find problems with it and they're saying, see, it's not Christian. See, we need to reject it. And they just throw the the baby out with the bathwater, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely. And so let me uh, go back to, you know, the reasons why I found it not to be ancient. Uh, So there was the the first guy who really started talking about the Enneagram in history, the Enneagram that we have today, the symbol was a guy by the name of George Gurchiff. And in the early 1900s, he was teaching his students the Enneagram. And he had one chief feature uh, that he put around the Enneagram. Now, no one knows what these chief features are. Like one's like a compulsive liar and they're all like really negative. And he put these, the chief features around, but that's as far as he got. He never, it was not, never a personality tool for him. Like he didn't teach a system of personality or types uh, that we have today. So if you were to go back to the early 1900s and give Gurchiff uh, one of the books on the nine Enneagram personality types or, or a book on all the nine types like we have today, he would have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and so I think that speaks volumes to the question about whether the modern Enneagram is ancient or not. Uh, because it was not a, a personality tool. It was actually a universal symbol. Uh, it was a universal symbol to explain all of life to him. Wow. And so he was putting musical octaves around it and things like that. So it, there's proof that he was doing all kinds of things with it. He was, you know, uh, I think he's putting the periodic, periodic table of elements and all kinds of things around this symbol, because to him, it was not a personality tool or symbol. It was a symbol, a a blueprint to understand all of life. Okay. Hmm. Uh, So that's huge to know because then in, in the 1950s and sixties, a guy by the name of Oscar Chazo comes along and he starts to apply his personality insights, the things that he's learning in psychology, starting to apply it and put, uh, put his insights around this nine pointed diagram, which he called the Enneagon because he wanted to distinguish it from what Gurdjieff had. So he called oh. it an Enneagon and never called it an Enneagram and began putting these personality insights uh, around it. Uh, and he was pulling from ancient sources uh, at times uh, because, you know, Gurdjieff in the early 1900s had nothing about vices and virtues on his Enneagram. Uh, but it was a Chazo in the 50s and 60s who looked back at a Christian named Raymond Lowell who had nine vices and then started applying those nine vices to the Enneagram uh, symbol. And so we don't have any proof, none, that an Enneagram, the Enneagram system that we have today was passed down from generation to generation. All we have uh, are, you know, some, some teachings from Christians centuries ago that have been applied, like, like, like the vices and virtues, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it just, it also helps 
I don't know. I, I think that the like it helps keep the Enneagram in its rightful place, right? That it is just a tool and yep. that tools can be malleable or changed throughout the teachers that teach them. So I just, I really like the, how, how you're, the way that you're describing it reminds me to keep it in its rightful place. Yeah. And it's Shazo in the fifties and sixties never uh, came up with the idea of there being personality types. You know, he said that we can all have aspects of these nine points on this Enneagon. And it wasn't until mm. the seventies and his student Claudio Naranjo uh, in the seventies, right. Started to create the Enneatypes that you can, this point two uh, on Echazo's diagram could be a Enneatou, you know, Enneatype two. Mm -hmm. And so he formulated uh, these Enneatypes and then he taught them secretly to the Jesu to one of the Jesuits and some other people like Helen Palmer. And then it kind of like leaked out. And that's how we have it today is because it leaked out from his original classes in the early seventies and that's why it spread to you know us today. And oh. what what I want to point out too, another reason why it's not ancient is because the thing, a lot of the things that we teach today, like the basic fears, the the core the core desires, mm -hmm. the childhood messages, the levels of health, like average, healthy, unhealthy, all mm -hmm. of that was came up was come uh, all of that was formulated by reason in the 1980s on. So all of that is pretty brand new material as of a few decades ago. So all that to say, I can go into further, but that's kind of the overview that that's what leads me to believe that the Enneagram is a modern invention and not an ancient tool. Yes. I love all of this information and I just can't believe that you have it all in your brain. That is <laughs> amazing because it is so, so helpful to know that and to really frame your Enneagram journey without that myth. You know, yep. yep. I, you don't have to defend it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Because Gertrude's diagram may have had some Sufi influences or influences from people or groups we don't know about, but it doesn't really matter because his symbol was not a personality symbol. Echazo yeah. took his symbol and and then overlaid personality insights to it. So, like, so just to be clear, the only thing that we have from Gurdjieff is the symbol itself and the centers of intelligence the head, heart, mm. and gut triads, because mm -hmm. Gurdjieff is trying to bring all those together. Uh, but that's the only two things we have from the early 1900s still today is wow. the diagram and the centers, uh, the, the triads. Everything else was formulated after the 50s and 60s. That's, it's just wild how you can see how long it took to really put these puzzle pieces together to this tool that we use today that I imagine will always be malleable and changing to some degree because something that you said in the previous video is that no one like owns it or you know ha has is going to fund all of this research well yep i'm not saying they won't ever but currently no one's funding all of this research to really solidify all of these things so yeah that's why uh, it hasn't been validated on a massive scale yet is because yeah. no one has no one owns it and could gain any yeah. money from putting about million dollars in the r d you know yeah exactly, so exactly i would say it's not validated yet 
The most common dating question I get is, what do you think about apps? And I wanna tell you about my favorite dating app to refer people to. It's called Salt. So it's free to use. And unlike other Christian dating apps, it's made by Christians for Christians. So you can go in knowing that you already have the most important thing in common, your faith and values. Y'all, I personally have not only met the team, but I have two close friends who can really speak to the validity of this app and they say it takes some of the cringe out of those conversations. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and you can download Salt from App or Play Store. And after creating your profile, use code WILD for six weeks free premium. This is for US and Canada only. And please DM me to let me know how you like it because admittedly, I'm over-invested in your dating lives. <laughs> and I, I really do believe that this is a step forward in getting back to healthy dating. So y'all check Salt out and don't forget to use code WILD. Okay, one of the other things that I hear probably once a week is, oh, oh yeah, abs- I mean, I would think via TikTok, I would say, you know, a lot of people say a lot of things, <laughs> but a lot, a lot, a lot of people compare it to astrology or they say that it's based on astrology. So the second myth that um, I would love for you to debunk is that the modern Enneagram is based on astrology. Tell us about that because I hear it all the time. Yeah, no, it's it's easy to see why people think that. Uh, but there isn't any proof that it came from astrology. So a few people that I found throughout history have tried to correlate it to astrological types. There was a guy named Rodney Collin in the early to mid-1900s. And then Helen Palmer more recently tried to correlate it. Uh, mm, but okay. Oscar... Oscar Chazo made it clear in his letter to the transpersonal community. It's a PDF that anyone can go and find. He he said that neither he or Gurdjieff based the Enneagram on astrological signs. Hmm. So, I mean, that just kind of puts to rest the rumors. I mean, he, he said it, said it himself. The one who formulated uh, the modern Enneagram said, no, it's not based in astrology. And, you know, the only there's only been a few people throughout history that have tried to correlate them and even Colin and Palmer disagree on which types correlate with different astrological signs. Yeah. So if you go read a website, just do a Google search, it might be intriguing to a a person who's new to Enneagram, like, Oh, I see some similarities, but you know, it's not very convincing to anyone who knows the Enneagram well. Right. Um, Yeah. And, And here's, here's the big thing. Okay. What makes the Enneagram different from astrology is that astrology tells you who you are or what will happen based on when you were born, your birthday. Mm -hmm. And I actually did this. I went on websites (laughs) and tried this out. Uh, Here's my birthday. And then numerology takes it a step further and looks at your birthday and your name, like specifically the letters of your name, uh, (laughs) to to tell you who you are and what's going to happen in your future. Right. Yeah. But the modern Enneagram is different because it doesn't tell you who you are based on your birthday or your name or the Enneagram invites you to explore how God created you and what your core desires and temptations are uh, as you self verify your type. Yeah. So it gives you the types. It gives you the patterns uh, or the bundles of behaviors and all these things. And then you self verify which type you are. Like a, a coach or a test doesn't get to tell you uh, who, who you are. Yeah. And I, I found that astrology is primarily about the future to help you find out what's going to happen. But mm-hmm. the Enneagram is about what's true in the present. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to predict your future. It's not a fortune teller. So that's why I say astrology is about fortune telling, but the Enneagram is about formation. Formation, uh, and then, yeah. And the very last thing I'll say is I found astrology to be very vague and generalized. Yes. <laughs> like when it spit yes. out my report on an astrology <laughs> website, it was like very, like you were a leader, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. generalized. <laughs> I was like, I am a leader, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Enneagram is specific and concrete. It's not general. Like it says, here mm-hmm. is your core sin. Here is your core desire, your core fear. Very, very concrete, not, you know, not, not generalized. So yeah, exactly. So, I'm even thinking about like my aunt, her birthday is the day after mine. So we have the same astrological sign. Our Enneagrams could not be more different, <laughs> you know? So that, that just is what that reminds me of. And yeah, I mean, I, I just can't, I feel like I agree with you. The astrology is so generalized and the Enneagram actually brought me closer to the Lord because I was reading it and I was like, oh, that's why you made me this way. Or these are the things that I can actually appreciate in you, like the, of you as the creator and your creation. Like these are the cool things that you sprinkled throughout humanity. And I'm not saying it all ends with the Enneagram, right? There's obviously a a trillion things that he did that will always keep me intrigued with people and his creation. But um, I do think that that is what sets it apart. Astrology is, like you said, so general. I'm like, meh, it doesn't make me wonder about the creator where the Enneagram does personally for me, make me wonder, what were you thinking when you created like these, this person or like this um, specific personality uh, aspect about them i don't know so yeah and if you don't believe that there is such a thing as personality and then you're going to be biased towards enneagram or any personality <laughs> tests like, yeah. there are some people that just say you know the bible's all we need we, we can't trust anything else but that's to limit god and saying that he's not going to reveal more truths he's not going to reveal the law of gravity and all these other discoveries you know after the canon of scripture was closed like is are we limiting God or are we going to allow him to continue to pour out knowledge about how the world works? Like, do we believe that God created us just randomly or are there certain patterns, beautiful patterns to figure out that will lead us to greater self-knowledge and ultimately how we're running and hiding from God? You know, the things that yeah. are keeping us stuck uh, from, from be, being in union in relationship with God. So we just believe that there are patterns and therefore we look at the Enneagram and say, okay, like there's good psychology here. It's resonating and we don't have to be skeptical and just throw lump it in with astrology and all these other, you know, uh, ancient things. Yeah. I love that. I love, 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 love it. Love it. Okay. So the last one, which potentially is the most important one, um, I would think is the modern Enneagram came from an archangel or spirits. That is the last, the third myth that we are going to debunk today. So tell us about that one. Yeah. So it's you know, was said to get it from an archangel, uh, but that one's a little less like people are a little less aware of that. And, and I, I go into that, uh, you know, my videos online, I would, but I'll focus on Naranjo because that's really the the big one. They say that Naranjo got it from a spirit, 
And mm -hmm. because he came up with the Enneatypes, types, that's let's just focus on on him. So in a June 2010 interview, uh, Naranjo claims that he got the Enneatypes types from automatic writing. Okay, mm -hmm. and like you're right, this is one of the biggest hangups for a lot of Christians. They're like, oh, see, you got it from a spirit. It comes from the cult, you know, cult sources, demons, and and that sort of thing. And I have to be honest, like at first glance, this was really shocking for me when someone pointed out this video on, on YouTube and I was just listening to it. I had no context. I didn't know what to think. Yeah. Uh, but as Christians sometimes do, Christians take things out of context. Christians import meaning into to <laughs> verses of the Bible when they don't know ancient sources of the ancient context, right? Mm -hmm. We, you know, twist Paul's words around all the time. And it's, that's what's going on here. Right. Just as someone might assume they know, you know, what a word is in the Bible or a verse is in the Bible without knowing Greek and the ancient values. Yeah. So, so too are people jumping the gun and putting words in Naranjo's mouth. I mean, it's mm. really interesting. I mean, they don't know who he is. They don't know anything about his life. They hear yeah. one thing he says on YouTube and all of a sudden they're experts on <laughs> in the Enneagram yeah. being demonic. Yeah. Okay. So let's just for the sake of you know getting clear here's a here's a working definition of automatic writing uh for those who are not aware of it or don't know what it is i didn't know what it is and mm -hmm. had to look yeah. it up so automatic writing is thought to be performed without conscious thought or deliberation typically by means of spontaneous free association as a means of divine guidance or by spirits and or psychic forces so it's really a new age term. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a new age practice that really parallels cr Christians. When we sit down and have our quiet time, we, yeah. we read the Bible, we meditate on it, we pray, we try to listen to God. And then oftentimes we come out and say, man, I wrote this sermon or I wrote this, this piece and man, God, you know, God really like, you know, it's from God, yeah. <laughs> you know? He told me this. He showed me this. Yeah. So that's the, that's kind of like the, for anyone who's not a Christian, who's maybe new age, that is their way of, you know, meditating. So, but different people just as Christians have different, mean different things when we say prayer or quiet time, mm -hmm. you know, new age people use it very differently. And, yeah. and so some people, it's just a meditative time to let things flow and then write them down. It's sort of a, a quiet meditative process. And then some people actually do try to channel a spirit uh, to give them divine guidance. Right. Mm -hmm. And so people automatically assume that he meant when he said that, then he meant that he got it from a spirit. Mm. Uh, and that's putting words in his mouth. He never said that. And in fact, that's the first time he ever mentioned automatic writing publicly after teaching the Enneagram for 40 years. Wow. Right? It'd be, I, you know, it'd be kind of suspect if after 40 years of teaching the Enneagram, you know, that I said something out of the blue off the cuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And but so here I went to Catherine Favre. So many people know her as the one who came up with the tri-types uh, mm -hmm. in the, in the mid nineties. And she was a student under Naranjo. And I said, what do you, what do you think? Of, what do you make of this? You know, tell me. And she said uh, that Naranjo used automatic writing to describe the free associations part of the definition. 
meaning a meditative writing process by which you relax your mind and allow words or images to spontaneously come, come forward. Mm. And so in other words, she said he was connecting the dots in his mind between what he had learned from Achazo uh, in his typologies uh, and all that he had learned through his education and research from other psychiatrists and psychologists. Mm. Uh, so most people don't know that Naranjo studied at Berkeley, Harvard, these institutions, these Ivy League institutions in the U.S., and all he did was study personality. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like highly unlikely that the Enneagram just the psychology just dropped out of thin air, like Moses receiving the 10 commandments. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then Naranjo in his character neurosis book actually said this, he said, uh, yeah, I was taking what I was learning from Achazo. Uh, I was taking what I was learning from Karen Hornet, uh, Karen Hornet, uh, from, uh, Christian, the Christian philosopher, Paul Tillich. And he said, I was drawing all of these things together. And you can see that in his book, he's like, quoting all of these, these people. Mm -hmm. So it makes a lot of sense that he was not downloading this from a spirit from thin air, but actually using this, this meditative time to bring all of these, these pieces together. And if, if Catherine Favre is not enough, <laughs> Beatrice Chestnut also told Beth and Jeff McCord of your Enneagram coach that she, she agrees with Favre, that she was also a student of Naranjo's in the nineties. And uh, Beatrice Chestnut said the same thing. She yeah. said, yeah, he did not mean the meditative, he made a meditative writing process. He did not mean that he got it from a spirit. So you have two credible sources that aren't Christian that have no bias, you know, to yeah. say anything, to say anything false. And they said, no, this automatic writing is not, uh, he did not mean he got it from a spirit. So hopefully that helps the listeners and your listeners. And if you're listening right now, build some more confidence yeah. to realize, okay, I don't have to be so scared about this. There's a lot of information floating around. Yes, absolutely. I think that everything that you've said today is incredibly helpful, not just for anybody listening, but for me as a coach to be able to relay it easier. And I mean, I'm not, I can deal with confrontation if I need to, but I would prefer not to. And a lot of times <laughs> those kind of conversations feel confrontational. So whenever we can really take it back and be like, okay, let's just debunk a couple of these myths and then we can move forward with a, you know, level of understanding that we didn't have before. I think that it just helps so much as we're going through this personality tool that is just a helpful thing for self-awareness and becoming the healthiest version of ourselves, right? Amen. Pretty <laughs> But you have so many other um, resources and I just want to tell everybody about those. Not only do you have your Instagram, YouTube, and website, we touched on the devotionals that are available on Amazon. And um, tell us about this course that you were telling me about, the Enneagram History course. Yeah, it's it was a very fun project. And it really was birthed out of, you know, a time of, I need to figure things out. As a pastor, I'm going to be held to a higher standard yeah. uh, for truth. And so I need to do my research and figure things out. Yeah. And it's hard because the Enneagram, again, no one owns it. There's not a lot of, you know, 
books on the history. So it was a lot of scouring the web (laughs) and and finding random video clips that are hidden on YouTube. And so there's a lot of clips that I bring in and media and it was just a fun project. So I go back and say, Hey, what are the ancient influences of the Enneagram going from Pythagoras uh, to the early desert fathers through the middle ages and Raymond Lowell and and then I get up to the 70s and talk about the history from like the 70s, 80s, 90s to the present about, you know, how the Enneagram has been been formed. Talk about the, you know, uh, the automatic writing controversy, the mm-hmm. Metatron angel controversy with Echazo and try to, to bring clarity. Like the whole goal of the course is to uh, give you confidence to use Enneagram and teach Enneagram yeah. and give clarity on the, you know, on the facts, the real facts, and and have you walk away feeling, you know, okay, I can use this. Yeah. I, mean, I take apart the enneagram piece by piece, like a car, show it to everybody, and then put it back together, and be like, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna crash here. This yeah. is this is okay uh, to use this thing. And so, yeah, you can you go to my website tylerzoc.com/history, and that's okay. where the the site is. And for your listeners, they can use the promo code wild promo to get 50% off. Thank you for that. That is such a gift. Wild promo. That is such a gift. I'm so thankful. And I personally am definitely going to take this course. So I can't wait to tell everyone else about it and highly, highly, highly encourage people to check it out. Not only because it's just you and everything you do, I feel like is so incredible. But if we are going to be using this as a tool, we do need to be educated about it. We need to know what we're using, what car, what kind of car are we driving? You don't get into any car and just be like, I guess this is how we it works. You take some time and you figure out, you readjust your mirrors, you, uh, you know, figure out where, how to roll the windows down. Where's all this stuff? Cause you know, in a Jeep, it's different than a, a Mazda. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, so no, well put, I love well put. It. <laughs> and if you don't have the the funds or resources or time to do the the course, I've done a free ebook that's about three thousand words or so. It's like an essay size, and you can download that free off my website, gospelforenneagram.com. And the ebook Amazing. is just should Christians use the Enneagram? And it's a great place to start to to read, or a great resource to download and then pass on to some friends. It sort of gives a, a overview of some of the things I shared today. Mm-hmm. And how the gospel speaks to some of the language of the Enneagram, like ego and, you know, that we're not liberated by our, through ourselves, through self-knowledge, but we're, Jesus is actually our liberator uh, from the ego, uh, which is the psychology term for sin. You know, so I kind of go into some of that and kind of give a starting place for Christians who want to learn the Enneagram through a gospel lens. I love it. Not only can you find all of this information on tylerzoc.com slash history, you can also find some of what we talked about for uh, the should the Christians use the Enneagram on gospelforenneagram.com. I'm going to link it in some of my email blasts and obviously on social media. So truly, truly, if you're looking for it, it should be easy to find. <laughs> we are going to make sure you can find all of this information Thank you so much for joining us today. You are amazing. I love what you're doing and I appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. So fun to to hang out with you and meet you. There's recently been a lot of chatter about the Enneagram origins and what they are and what they mean and all of that crazy stuff. But Tyler Zock is so generous, so knowledgeable, so wise, and 
I'm just so excited to tell you that he created an Enneagram history e-course for people who want to take a deep dive into the origins of the Enneagram so they really get clarity on where the Enneagram came from and how to confidently use it as a Christian. This course is available now and we get 50% off with code WILD. Promo is normally $97, but he's being so, so generous and kind in giving us that discount. So definitely, if you are interested in the origins of the Enneagram, check this out. It's at tylerzock.com forward slash history. Thank you so, so much for spending time with us today and hanging out here on Wild Confidence. I hope that you feel encouraged and ready to tackle the day, feeling even more confident than you did before you started listening. I'd be so thankful if you left a review or shared this episode with a friend and I'll see you soon. Oh, don't forget. Let's connect on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Ainsley B and I hope to meet you there.